Welcome to King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Do you like to teach? Well, would you like to teach? And I said, sure. <laughs> I think I started the series and now I get to finish it, which is really fun. Um, yeah, that's better. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> You're going to be hearing my voice for a long time, kind of like uh, VBS songs after a week of VBS. So go ahead, and if you haven't met your table mates, take a minute right now just to introduce yourselves. If you know all your table mates, get up and meet somebody else at another table. Take a minute now. Go. Meet someone new. All right. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be uh, in your word, to learn more, not just from you, Lord, but also from one another. Thank you that we get to be here in Bible study. We ask, Lord, that you would be with people, um, our fellow Christians all over the world who have to study the Bible um, in secret because they're not allowed to in their countries. We ask that you would sustain them and uh, uplift them, Lord, as they continue to follow you. And as we continue to follow you, Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom and guidance and um, open hearts and open eyes and minds today, Lord, to see how we can finish up this study of strength in Scripture and figure out how we can learn from Gideon, even as an imperfect vessel of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so last month we studied Deborah and Barak or Barak, and they were right before Gideon. So I thought it would be good for us to actually start our time with a snapshot of what Judges is all about, um, because we're going to be ending in Judges today. And if you remember, we, we talked about Deborah, and that was a great story of faithfulness and, and the people of God uh, obeying God, and, and it was a good story. But as we get towards the middle of Judges, things kind of start to go downhill a lot faster. <laughs> so I thought it would be good if we watch a short video here about the book of Judges. As soon as we're done, we're going to just do a quick little feedback. What do you think? What did you hear? Anything new type of deal. The book of Judges. So remember, after Joshua led the tribes of Israel into the promised land, he called them to be faithful to their covenant with God by obeying the commands of the Torah. And if they do this, they will show all the other nations what God is like. So Judges begins with the death of Joshua and basically tells the story of Israel's total failure. The book's name comes from the type of leaders Israel had in this period. Before they had any kings, the tribes were all governed by these judges. Now, don't think of a courtroom. These were regional political military leaders, more like a tribal chieftain. And you need to be warned, the book of Judges is very disturbing and violent. It tells the tragic tale of Israel's moral corruption, of its bad leadership, and basically how they become no different than the Canaanites. But this sad story is also meant to generate hope for the future, and you can see this in how the book's designed. There's a large introduction that sets the stage for Israel's failure as they don't drive out the remaining Canaanites. Then the large main section of the book has stories about the growing corruption of Israel's judges, and the progression here shows how Israel's leaders go from pretty good to okay to bad to worse. The concluding section is really disturbing and shows the corruption of the people of Israel as a whole. So let's dive in, and we can explore each part a bit more. 
The opening section begins with the tribes of Israel in their territories in the Promised Land. And while Joshua defeated some key Canaanite towns, there was still a lot of land to be taken and lots of Canaanites living in those areas. And so chapter 1 gives a long list of Canaanite groups and towns that Israel just failed to drive out from the land. Now, remember, the whole point of driving out the Canaanites was to avoid their moral corruption and their way of worshiping the gods through child sacrifice. God had called Israel to be a holy people, and that does not happen. Chapter 2 describes how Israel just moved in alongside the Canaanites and adopted all their cultural and religious practices. And it's right here that the story stops. For nearly a whole chapter, the narrator gives us an overview of everything that's about to happen in the body of the book. This part of Israel's history, the narrator says, was a series of cycles moving in a downward spiral. So Israel became like the Canaanites, and so they would sin against God. So God would allow them to be conquered and oppressed by the Canaanites, and eventually the Israelites would see the error of their ways and repent. So God would raise up a deliverer, a judge, from among Israel who would defeat the enemy and bring about an era of peace. But eventually Israel would sin again, and it would all start over. This cycle provides the literary design and flow for the next main section of the book. It gets repeated for each of the six main judges whose stories are told here. Now, the stories of the first three judges, Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah, they are epic adventures. They're also extremely bloody stories. Either the judge themselves or people who help the judge, they defeat their enemies and deliver the people of Israel. The stories about the next three judges are longer, and they focus in on the character flaws of the judges, which get increasingly worse. So Gideon, he begins pretty well. He's a coward of a man, but he eventually comes to trust that God can save Israel through him. And so he defeats a huge army of Midianites with only 300 men carrying torches and clay pots. But Gideon has a nasty temper, and he murders a bunch of fellow Israelites for not helping him in his battle. And then it all goes downhill from there. He makes an idol from the gold that he won in his battles. And then after he dies, all Israel worships the idol as a god, and the cycle begins again. The next main judge is Jephthah, who's something of a mafia thug living up in the hills. And when things get really bad for Israel, the elders come to him begging for his help. And Jephthah was a very effective leader. He won lots of battles against the Ammonites, but he was so unfamiliar with the God of Israel, he treats him like a Canaanite God. He vows to sacrifice his daughter if he wins the battle. This tragic story, it shows just how far Israel has fallen. They no longer know the character of their own God, which leads to murder and to false worship. The last judge, Samson, is by far the worst. His life began full of promise, but he has no regard for the God of Israel. He was promiscuous, violent, and arrogant. He did win brutally strategic victories over the Philistines, but only at the expense of his own integrity, and his life ends in a violent rush of mass murder. Now, a quick note here. You'll notice a repeated theme in the main section of the book, that at key moments, God's Spirit will empower each of these judges to accomplish these great acts of deliverance. Now, the fact that God uses these really screwed up people doesn't mean he endorses all or even any of their decisions. God is committed first and foremost to saving his people, but all he has to work with is these corrupt 
leaders. And so work with them, he does. This whole section is designed to show just how bad things have gotten. You can't even tell the Israelites and the Canaanites apart anymore. And that's just the leaders. The final section shows Israel as a whole hitting bottom. There are two tragic stories here, and they are not for the faint of heart. They're structured by this key line that gets repeated four times at the close of the book. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The first story is about an Israelite named Micah, who builds a private temple to an idol, and that gets plundered by a private army sent from the tribe of Dan. So they come and they steal everything, and then they go and burn down the peaceful city of Laish and murder all of its inhabitants. It's a horrifying story. When Israel forgets its God, might makes right. The final story of the book is even worse. It's a shocking tale of sexual abuse and violence, which all leads to Israel's first civil war. It's very disturbing. And that's the point. These stories are meant to serve as a warning. Israel's descent into self-destruction is the result of turning away from the God who loves them and saved them out of slavery in Egypt. And now Israel needs to be delivered again from themselves. The only glimmer of hope in this story is found in this repeated line in the last part of the book. It actually forms the last sentence of the story. Israel has no king. And so the stage is set for the following books to tell the origins of King David's family, the book of Ruth, and also the origins of kingship itself in Israel, the book of First Samuel. But the story of Judges has value as a tragedy. It's a sobering explanation of the human condition, and ultimately it points out the need for God's grace to send a king who will rescue his people. And that's the book of Judges. Okay. Yeah, right? <laughs> the book of Judges. So that is the context of Judges and the context of which we meet Gideon uh, today. Again, I think it's important to understand where we are in the book of Judges because from here, as, as the narrator said, this is setting the stage for Israel to have a king, they don't get David right away, right? Um, so the cycle kind of continues until they get David and they have a king who knows the hearts of the people, who knows the heart of God, makes some really bad choices himself, but is a man who's trying to strive after God's own heart, right? And so from David, we get the whole line all the way down and we get to Jesus, right? So judges is important to be able to understand why um, they, the Israelites were where they were at this time in their history. All right. Any quick reactions or something you saw that was new or anything that you would like to share about the video? Larry's got his running shoes on today. <laughs> Thanks, Don. Yeah. I, I laugh because I think, oh, I would love to be like, I know I did it. You know, I wish I had that skill. That's the Bible project. Uh, they've got all of, we used it in CDT one year on Romans. Um, I remember I showed one on Romans for, for CDT. Um, the Bible project, it's a, it's a website um, and all their videos are free and they've got, yeah, they just do a really good job. They're out of Portland. Um, so yeah. It, it, I think it is well done. It gives you a quick overview, right? Anything else? 
just to frame it as a tragedy is mm. wonderful. Yeah. As a tragedy is, yeah, it's the demise, right? And it's, it's, uh, no matter how hard they try, they don't have the right heart. And so it is a tragedy. Yeah. Anything else? Pastor Beck. If you have said this at another occasion, then please excuse this question. But the book of Judges is called Judges. They're more like warriors. Yeah, they are more like warriors. How do we get to judges? I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> I didn't say it in another one. I just happen to have all the people I've taught on, I think, have been in judges. <laughs> um, I don't know, actually. I think just for somebody, they... In a few of them, in the beginning, they are doing some judging and leading. Um, at least we know about Deborah. Uh, she was settling disputes, right? And so she was the person that they came to. And so I think that is probably a characterization of some of the things that they did. Gideon, not so much. Not so much. All right. So knowing what we know now about judges, let's jump in to... Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Who has that to read aloud for us? Raise your thing. Okay. Uh, Ken's going to read aloud for us. Yep. And you're going to do, oh, Bob's going to do it? Oh, okay. Yes, if you're going to do 1 through 6, and then we'll stop after 6, and then we'll do 7 through 10. Boy, this print is small. <laughs> Would you like, we do have large print. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites because the power of Midian was to be was so oppressive. The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Malachites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. All right. Thank you. So this is setting the stage of what the problem is, right? So the land, this is the land that Barak had actually opened up in the last chapter. If you were here for Deborah's story, this is the land that he cleared out, uh, so to speak, but now the Midianites have moved into that land and they began to tear down Israel's livelihood, um, their food sources and their economic stability. And then they cry out to the Lord, right? Not before that, but when it's all, when it's all gone uh, south. All right. Ken, seven through 10, please. When the Israelites cried to the Lord, because of Benian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, 
I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their dam. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. This belonged to Joas the Abazite, where he, his son, Gideon, was threshing wheat, was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Okay. Thank you. All right. So there's a lot going on here just in this opening, right? So we have a prophet who comes and a prophet came at the start of, at the start of the last chapter. That was Deborah. She was a prophetess and Deborah, God used her to set into motion, excuse me, to set into motion a plan that was going to save the Israelites. This prophet does not do that. What does this prophet do? kind of bam, right? (laughs) A smack on the head, like wake up, right? In in a more of a rebuking. Um, And so we know that some things have changed, right? So we have, we have this idea that some things have changed because Deborah was sent for deliverance and this prophet was sent here to rebuke. And the prophet doesn't necessarily give us any indication that God is actually going to help them this time, right? He doesn't, we don't know what's going to happen. They're calling on the name of God and calling on the name of God is essentially invoking a relationship. God is a God of relationships. And so they're calling on the name of God. They're calling on this relationship, but they have not held up, nor do they really seem that they are interested in holding up their end of the relationship, right? When you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't call you back or never wants to hang out with you or doesn't come to Thanksgiving dinner or blows you off every time, is that really a great relationship? No, right? (laughs) You know know those people. Or maybe you're that person who says, I just don't want to even have to deal with this relationship anymore. And so we have the Israelites, they're, they're treating God more like a genie in a bottle, which we are also prone to do. And they call on him when they need some rescuing. But then after a little while, they default back to only calling on him when they need rescuing and forgetting him the other times of their life. We also see here some Exodus theology. If you remember, um, we talked about Exodus theology in Deborah as well, which is where the writer is remembering and hearkening back to what God did at the Exodus and bringing them out of Egypt. And so just like when we tell stories, we will put markers in our stories to remind you of a time. Uh, This is what the writer is also doing here, what the prophet is doing here, reminding the people, hey, you know this story, and so you know what this means, right? It's not just about God rescuing you, but what came after God rescuing you? God then brought you to a mountain, said, I will be your God, you will be my people, but then we're going to be in a relationship together. And so the, so the prophet is doing this also for our benefit as well to remind us of this. 
we're remembering it's to remember that it's not only for the people of that, that time, but also for us and that retelling the stories of God for those who listen, us included is that it is a God of a God who rescues and a God who wants to be in relationship with us. All right. Who has Exodus two twenty three through 25 Lois is going to uh, read this and then we'll get some reactions here. <clears throat> During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. All right. So we get back to the Exodus story. Do we see the parallels here? Right? What did the Israelites do then? They groaned or cried out to God. What are they doing here? They're crying out to God again. And God, God answers, right? So we see that the angel then comes in verse 11. Uh, and we, we get that sense uh, about what just happened in the chapter beforehand with Deborah. Um, Deborah was sitting under a palm tree. Where does this prophet go? The angel of the Lord goes to the oak tree, right? So there's something about, there's something about there, there's a centrality to where you can find people who are there to speak, there to judge, there to give guidance. And so we see that, that the angel of the Lord came and sat down underneath this oak tree. We find Gideon, we find Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. Has anyone ever made wine? Yeah. Okay. So I had the, I, strangely enough, I have, um, not here, but when I lived in Hungary, uh, my first fall there, the family I lived with wanted to teach me how to make goulash the real way, not the Americanized version. Um, when I told them that we make like noodles and ground beef, they were like, why? Like, that's not, I'm like, I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why they, that's what we make. Um, cause it's more of a stew. And they also wanted me to learn how to make wine. They made their own homemade wine. I've never threshed wheat, but I can't imagine trying to thresh wheat into a wine press uh, in the same way. So what does this tell us about Gideon? Ken? Well, according to my footnote, he was doing in the wine press secret. Yeah. So Benny and I see him. And also, earlier, it's talking about where the Israelites lived, mm-hmm. in caves, crevices, things were in dire shape. Yeah, yeah, they were in dire dire shape, they were in dire straits, they were not able to keep any of their food, any of their livestock alive. And so we see that Gideon is there threshing wheat in a wine press so that his family can eat. So we kind of are a little clued in a little bit to who Gideon is, that he might be clever, resourceful, right? Maybe other people were doing this too, but he is able to contribute and does it in a way where it's in secret, hopefully, you know, hiding it from the invaders. So we have this angel of the Lord come Now, we've seen the angel of the Lord twice before in this book of Judges. The first one is in chapter 2, verse 1. He appeared to charge Israel with unfaithfulness. And in 523, to curse Meraz for failing to help in the war against Sisera. 
So the other two times he's come, it's been, <laughs> right, bad news, right? The, the prophet shows up, the angel of the Lord shows up, and it's like, you know, what's, what's going to happen here? But something, something else happens, and it's going to be that his appearance is a good thing. We're also introduced to Joash, who is Gideon's father. All right, any reactions before I go, keep going? Because there's so much in Gideon story. Any other thoughts, questions, ideas, rebuttals? No? Great. We're going to keep going then. (laughs) The angel of the Lord appears here. That gives us an indication that this is a divine presence, right? Um, It doesn't say that the angel of the Lord came into town on a donkey um, or on a camel. The angel of the Lord appeared when uh, the Bible uses this, this, this language of appearing and disappearing. Um, it's, it's to tell us that it's a divine visitor. It's supposed to give us that indication. Uh, this is also a theophany. This is a word that means God appearing, God being manifest in a person or in um, some other material form like fire, right? The pillar of fire, cloud, light. Uh, But does Gideon get this right away that this might be a divine person? No, right? He's not not ready to hear this right now. Um, And so he doesn't seem to pick up right away on who this messenger is. The angel of the Lord gives Gideon a name here. His name is called Mighty Warrior. Gideon is hiding in a wherever, making wheat, threshing wheat in a wine press. Does that strike you as a mighty warrior? (laughs) No, right? He's not. He's not out fighting. He's he's hiding, but he's hiding for a good reason, right? He's not just hiding. Um, We we see no indication that Gideon is anything of uh, a warrior. And so he's not out fighting. But this tells us that we know that the angel is giving him the name that he's going to become, not who he is right now. Who he's going to become, not who he is right now. Right? Our strength verse is here. Pastor has uh, challenged us to have a strength verse each week. And I chose this one <clears throat> because, like Gideon, our strength comes from being chosen by God. And Gideon was chosen. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Not that the Lord is with all of Israel. Not that the Lord is with all of your household, but the Lord is with you. That's intensely personal, isn't it? Intensely personal. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Just like Gideon, God is intensely personal with us, right? He calls us by name. We are his. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, right? There's nothing that can separate us, not nothing on earth or under the earth or anywhere else that can separate us. And we're called by name and God calls us into following him, into being his child in the waters of our baptism. And from there, we are called continually to every day 
as Luther says, to wake up, right? Make the sign of the cross, remember our baptisms, and then go, oh, you can sing a hymn or the Apostles' Creed, um, and then go cheerfully about our work, right? And we're called just like, just like Gideon was. Uh, and, and so I think it's important because Gideon doesn't quite realize this yet. And I think sometimes we forget this too, that we've been chosen by God. All right. Any thoughts before we go on? Do you feel chosen today, Nigel? No, you don't have to. The, the, Nigel has, would like to say something. Do you all feel chosen today? Yeah. Yeah. All right. If you don't here, you, you are chosen. You are chosen by God. Yeah, I was just going to say that, um, well, oh, yeah, what occurred to me is that, so God, the angel of the Lord, is speaking to him and saying, basically declaring, you yeah. are a mighty man, a, a mighty warrior. Yeah. And this is the God who spoke the world into existence, so he has the ability to just say it, and it becomes what it is. Yeah. And in the same way, you know, we can look at ourselves and say, I'm not righteous, but we are because he says you are righteous right. and, and the power of his word telling us makes it so. Yeah. It just is that. Yeah. Great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Great connection. It doesn't depend on how we feel, right? Even if you don't feel chosen today, even if you don't feel righteous today, God has said that you are. So you are, and you can, you can rely on that. All right. Let's go to. Chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. Who has, okay, Pastor Beck. I was just going to throw in all of us here have been baptized, and the promises of baptism holds through life. So whether you recognize that that promise is with you now uh, is another thing, but it's there. Yeah, thank you. Okay. 6, 13 through 18. Who's our reader? Right, Pat. Thank you. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us to the hand of Midian. The Lord returned to him and said, Go in the strength you you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. All right. Pause here for a second. Yeah. Gideon, (laughs) any thoughts, reactions, questions, what's happening here? Claire? 
Thunderstruck with Boy, isn't that the cry mm. of so many people? Yeah. People that we, we know that they are either inside or outside our walls, but that, hey, it's really God. Yeah. Why has all this got to happen? Mm-hmm. I agree. Jean? Doing tables today. I'm trying to save you uh, <laughs> steps. Um, well, I, you know, this sounds so familiar because it goes through my head every time, you know, the, the Lord suggests something to me and I said, who, me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you must have the wrong guy. Yeah. I don't have the strength. I don't have the resources. And God says, yeah. 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 This, this Gene Partlow or <laughs> some other Gene Partlow, right? Yeah. Anyone else? Ken? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot that, that Gideon, we can relate to with Gideon, right? Who, me? Why, Lord? <clears throat> I can't relate to Gideon in the sense that he was chosen. Oh, we said, well, we're all chosen. Oh, wait a minute. Gideon had a guy come and sit in under the oak tree. Nobody ever came to me on my balcony out of the clear blue and talked to me. He's also going to go on to test the Lord. He is. With his fleece. Yep. Nobody ever, nobody ever did that to me. If I had command like Gideon got, I would understand I'm chosen. So, so therefore, there's a little left us to write that because we're not personally grabbed by the neck and told. Ken, I am I am seeing this as a challenge right now <laughs> to God. I am seriously like he you never know. He might show up in all seriousness. Who who knows how he'll show up, right? Hopefully he won't tell you to go do something so drastic. And I think that's where we can relate to Gideon, because Gideon is not a mighty warrior. He He's the least, right? And so it is understandable that he would be like, I, I don't know. Like, why? You're, you're not even speaking my, my language of my family here. Lois. In response to that, but also the best part of this whole passage to me is when the Lord says, I will wait yes. until you return. He's going to wait for you. How many fleeces do you want to set out? He's <laughs> yeah. going to wait for yeah, you. Yeah, he's going to wait for you. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for pointing that out, Lois. That is, um, we see this again and again in Gideon's story that God is very patient when God doesn't necessarily need to be, right? He does. I know. Yes, I agree. All right. So there's a lot going on here. First, we're just going to work through the parallels between Moses and Gideon because if you know Moses, you can hear what's happening here. So I'm going to read the scripture verses, but you can open up your Bibles. Just keep flipping back and forth. Exodus, we're going to be in Exodus three and also chapter six. First of all, this one commentator says, W. Richter lists the five essential elements of the paradigm established by the call and commissioning of Moses in Exodus chapter three. So it starts with Moses. And then we see this again throughout scripture. So there's five parts of it. The affliction, the commission, the objection, the promise of strength, and the sign. I should also say that I really thought when I was first going through this that the strength verse should be go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? That was my, that was my second choice. Um, but 
it didn't win out for the strength first. But that's also the go in the strength that you have, right? And don't worry, the rest I'm going to supply to you here. All right, so, so we know the affliction is that, that the Israelites are suffering, right? That's the affliction in both places. So in Judges 6.14, which we just, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Exodus chapter 3, verse 12 And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. The objection, uh, 6.15, pardon me, my Lord. He's not saying my Lord like capital L, Lord. He's, that's just like the way, you know, like lords and ladies. I mean, thousands of years before, you know, the British Empire, but lords and ladies kind of thing. Um, Gideon replied, how, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Exodus 3.11 says, but Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. So we've got the commission. We've got the objection, the promise of strength. Um, 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Exodus three fourteen, uh, God said to Moses, I am who I am, right? This is the first time God is giving him this name of God. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am is that, that promise of strength. That's the name of the Lord kind of strength, right? Uh, not just I'm with you. I am is, is here. Uh, the sign, whoo, I just got chills. Um, judges six seventeen is getting replied. If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it was really you talking to me. Um, please do not blah, blah, blah. Uh, three twelve is what I said before. I will be with you. And then the sign part, right? This is, this will be assigned to you. So we see here that there is a pattern and getting is falling into this this pattern of Moses. Okay. And so we, again, if we know that the people of Israel are also um, telling these stories over and over again, they would hear these things and be familiar with what this pattern is, is as well. And I think we do this. I think we do this as well, right? Where we, where we object um, and say, no, not me, God. All right, so Gideon, I'm going to skip over a couple things. Um, Gideon receives his commissioning from Yahweh himself, just like Moses did, right? And Gideon doesn't 100% know this is Yahweh at the start of this. Uh, Notice also what Gideon does. Claire pointed it out. He kind of turns the words around from earlier, from the prophet earlier, who said, God has been with you, brought you up out of Egypt. Gideon kind of gets a little... Can we say flippant here? <laughs> uh, well, if God has been with us, then why are all these bad things happening? Right? And we do say the same thing. First of all, the messenger has said that the Lord is with Gideon, not with all of Israel. But on top of that, Gideon's, Gideon's assertion that Yahweh abandoned Israel and given them over to Midian is twisting what really happened, isn't it? We are our own best defense lawyers, right? I don't, not me. I mean, it was, it was, well, Debbie was really there, right? And, and, and she's the one that led the charge here. What does Gideon fail to mention? 
<laughs> he fails to mention that it's because they're in this situation because of all of the evil that Israel has done, not because God has abandoned Israel, because Israel has abandoned God. <laughs> it's flipped around here. We are really good at this argument as well. We always paint ourselves in a better light uh, without giving the best light to the other person. And Gideon is doing this with God here. And we, we do this all the time with God as well. Gideon doesn't seem to realize he's also digging himself and his fellow Israelites, uh, you know, a hole here. Because he readily admits that the fathers have faithfully passed on the knowledge of Yahweh and his saving deeds to the next generation. So he doesn't really have an excuse, right? They don't really have an excuse. The fathers had done what they were supposed to do. Tell the stories, tell the stories, tell the stories. That was the whole, right? Passover, tell this story every year. Bring out these things. Do this, tell the story over and over again. Have a, I brought you up out of Egypt, saved you from slavery, right? Over and over again. They have done their job. Israel has not listened. And in verse 17, we see that Gideon is starting to realize that he's most likely in the presence of the divine. He's starting to realize that. He thinks he may be in the presence of God, but he needs to be sure. And so he devises a way he thinks he will be able to figure it out, right? That's what he's doing here. So he says, I'm going to go do something and bring back an offering. Who has 19 through, we're going to see what he does here, 19 through 23. Okay. Thanks, Pat. Oh, that's right. I did put him. Yes. Yes. You did. I knew you would. (laughs) Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and with an ephah of of flour, he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Thank you. All right. What do we see? What does Gideon do here? What's he trying to figure out? What's he trying to figure out? Is he just killing this goat, this gigantic goat and this like huge thing of bread just to (laughs) feed this one guy? No. What happens right after this? He, he devises this plan because he knows that he's going to bring an offering and it's not an offering like a sacrificial offering, but it's an offering of, um, this could just be, I'm bringing you some food, Lois, right? Or you might change this into something else. And if you do, then I know that I'm dealing with the divine here. So he, He figures this out, that there's something going on, that if he can figure out, you know, what is this person going to do with this stuff, then I can know who I'm talking to. And as soon as he brings it out, what does the angel of the Lord do? He's like, yeah, 
this, this is what you're going to do. Put it over here. Da, 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 da. So Gideon, it's like, yes. Okay. I know who I'm talking to. I'm not talking to just some traveler who's come through. This is the angel of the Lord. And what happens? He like freaks out, right? <laughs> because he believes that, um, if he's seen the Lord face to face, that he is going to die, right? He's going to die. And so he figures it out, but he feels like he's going to, you know, that there, there's a good chance that he's going to die. Um, and the Lord slash the angel of the Lord says to him, peace be with you. Where else do we hear that? Jesus, right? Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Amazing how God does this, right? Peace be with you. My peace I leave to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, right? When he appears to the apostles in the upper room right after he dies and he is risen again, he walks in and his first word is peace. And when he comes back again because Thomas wasn't there, what's his first word? Peace. And so by hearing that word, he would have heard it as shalom, right? He would have heard shalom, which is peace, not just, I hope you have peace today. It's an all-encompassing all pervading peace that you are safe and that you are okay, right? This is a word of life and of relief. And so we see that Gideon is kind of stopped in his tracks here. We also see, as Lois pointed out again, that God is not only patient with Gideon, but he gives him the strength and then he speaks the life-giving words to him. All right, so we're going to see that he's going to test the Lord a little bit more a little bit later. Um, we ha- Who has the next... The 30, 24 through 39. Don Ward has 24 through 39 now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Lord. And there, and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezerites. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd. The one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar, Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole that's beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second pole as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, Who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The men of the town demanded of Joash, Bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd that was around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you going? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him will be put to death by morning. Baal really is a god. He can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that day they called Gideon, Jerob Baal, saying, Let Baal contend with him, because he broke down Baal's altar. Now all the Midianites 
Amalekites and other eastern people joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning, summoning the, I can't pronounce it. Just make it up. <laughs> to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. So they too went up to meet them. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece, and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece, wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Great. Thank you. All right. What's happening? What's happening with our Gideon here? Our friend Gideon. (laughs) What's he doing? What's that? Bargaining? Testing? Yeah? What else? Can he... I mean, it's not his shining moment because he's already received the call. He's already received the commission, right? He knows God is with him. So it's not his shining moment, but he's also about to lead people into an an enormous battle, right? Larry. I think he's looking for an out. One more time to be wrong and then he's off the hook. Oh, Larry, you are a prophet uh, in my life. (laughs) Um, Yes, Uh, I think he's looking for an out too. Really? I mean, who wouldn't? I, I, and I mean that in all seriousness. You're not a warrior. You're not from one of the, the clans that is known for their warrior-ness, right? Um, your dad is the one who has the altar and the asher pole. So, you know, I mean, I can understand where Gideon was going. But, but... Right. We have asked, I'm sure we've all all asked for signs for much less than going into battle. um, So we can understand that. Uh, And God is infinitely patient with Gideon. Right. He's, he could be like Gideon, (laughs) come on. Right. You've already, I've given you all these signs already. Let's get to it. But he doesn't, he doesn't. God's like, okay, you know, and even Gideon realizes God might be angry with me if I ask again. But he's not. Um, and he asks for more signs. Here's what I want you to take away from this part of the passage. Even when we're clothed in God's spirit, we still have doubts and struggle to trust and believe. Gideon had the spirit of the Lord, the Bible tells us. He's clothed in the spirit. You are clothed in the spirit. You have the spirit of God living inside you, helping you, directing you, forgiving you. And even when we are clothed in the spirit of God, we still have doubts and struggles and it's hard for us to trust and believe. We're in good company, right? With Gideon. We're in good company with a lot of the people in the Bible. And so it's okay, right? It's okay. And God is patient. God is slow to anger, abounded in steadfast love. So I'm, 145 says, right? 
He's, his, his mercy is on all he has made. Um, we see this, but God is giving Gideon this time. All right. I'm not actually going to read chapter seven. I'm going to give the highlights here. Um, Gideon gets up, goes into battle. Um, verse two, seven, two, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. All right. So then he announces to the army, anyone who's afraid, you can turn back 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. God said to Gideon, still too many men. What I want you to do is take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you. (laughs) I'm going to figure this out for you. If I say one shall go with you, he shall go. If not, he shall not go. Gideon took the men down to the water. The Lord said, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Right? So this was, this was in the background. If you saw any of the social media posts, um, because it's a dog drinking water. Okay, there you go. <laughs> it's the only time like that I think God has, you know, done something. But God makes interesting choices, doesn't he? Doesn't he make interesting choices? He asks he asks some interesting things, right? This is how God's going to separate people. Um, but we also see Jesus healing a blind man's uh a blind man's blindness with spit and and dirt. On his eyes, right? Um, that's interesting to me. Saul becoming Paul, right? Jesus appears, bright light. Saul goes blind, um, and he is not relieved for a couple of days, and then the scales fall off of his eyes. He becomes Paul, and you and me. <laughs> I think we're really interesting choices to be in the Lord's in the Lord's company, right? And in the Lord's family. If you just think about your own life, okay, lapping like dogs kind of okay god you know we we can we can understand why you would use some interesting methods there um then we see a little later you know Gideon's kind of like oh i don't want to do this god says if you are afraid to attack go down to the camp with your servant pura and listen to what they are saying when moses didn't want to go who did god send with him Aaron, his brother, right? He's like, listen, if you don't want to do this alone, you say you can't speak, you're not eloquent, take your brother. He can speak, right? You're going to be the backup there. We see this again and again, how God, God's not letting, God didn't let Moses out of it, and God's not letting Gideon out of it either. Um, overcoming fear is not a one and done kind of episode. I think this is something we can take from Gideon. He's afraid over and over and over again, and God continues to give him signs and answers that he can trust God. Overcoming fear usually requires facing that fear over and over and over again. And God seems to understand this because he continues to strengthen Gideon to be able to do this. Barry Webb, I don't know the guy, but he's a good uh, Christian uh, researcher and author. Uh, He says, one indispensable requirement for a leader of God's people is not fearlessness, but obedience. And I would say that extends then to the people of God too, right? We can be afraid, but we're called to be obedient, right? All right, so they go on. God wins the battle, right? We heard in the little story with... uh, fire and there's a shout and the men turn on each other. And then pretty much after that, things start to go south real quickly. Uh, Gideon starts to fight out of his anger um, and not with the Lord's direction. So God has directed Gideon up until now, but after this chapter, 
we don't see God appear to give him any more instructions, which then tells us that Gideon is acting on his own impulses and with his own strength and with his own anger. Some rightfully so. His brothers get killed and, you know, so on and so forth. But this all leads to the next couple of series of things that happen in Judges. And by the end of Judges, we're in a civil war. Three things besides your strength verse. It's easy for us to forget God's goodness. Especially when all we can see is the negativity and the bad, right? Like Gideon, who said, well, God, if if you've been with us, right? Why are we in this situation? Encourage you to look back on God's goodness if you can't see it right now in your life. Number two, God is patient with his people, infinitely patient with his people. We see that in Gideon. We also see that in the fact that we're still here, folks, right? (laughs) We're still here. I mean, like, yes, physically us, we're here. God has not smited us or whatever, you know, but also that God is giving the world and the Christian church time to share his love and his gospel saving message so that all may know the love of Jesus, right? But so that the whole world can be saved. That's what the new Testament tells us. God is taking his time here because we have a, we have a job to do. Uh, when God calls, he provides. He didn't ask Gideon to do anything on his own strength or his own merit or his own power. And he gave him what he needed. Even when Gideon had over what he needed, he gave him what he needed, right? So when God calls, he provides. It's easy for us to forget God's goodness. God is patient with his people. When God calls, he provides. That is Gideon's profiles of strength in scripture. Two quick announcements. Next week, there's no Bible study in the morning. We have our Thanksgiving and uh, worship and pie fest at night. So there's no Bible study next Wednesday. Sign up for pie fest. If you can't bring a pie, just come. Um, And then we'll have our Thanksgiving worship at 7 p.m. And then when we get back after uh, Thanksgiving, we've got three weeks of Advent. It'll be an Advent worship service and Bible study all in one. If you were here during Lent, it's the same kind of format. We'll be in here. It'll, we'll have some singing. We'll have some prayers, so on and so forth. But it'll, this is the, uh, the theme, uh, rise in light, reflected light, healing light. And it's a rise and shine. That is our theme for this Advent. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this time in your word. Thank you for Gideon. And for, uh, Lord, the ability to still be here, help us as your church here on earth be empowered to share your love and to share your saving message with all people that all might be saved. Lord, protect us as we go out and guide us in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and his people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.